the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. And uh, so he's got that really flowing now, and it uh, appears to be really going in their direction again. Let's go! All four men now in the ring. That makes two in there illegally. It's uh, Jackie Fulton and Bobby Eaton, the legal man. Over the top rope with Bobby Fulton. The referee did not see it. Any predicament here? This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by our good old friends over at Eat Your Coffee. Energize the moment with an Eat Your Coffee bar by heading over to eatyour.coffee right now and using the code POWERTRIP at checkout so you can energize your moment with an Eat Your Coffee bar. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And John, as the road to TMPT Con 3 continues, we bring in not only a rare podcast guest, but I would even put him in the column of one of the bucket list guys as the one and only Sweet Stan Lane joins the two-man power trip of wrestling to talk about this giant TMPT Con 3, the 35th anniversary of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express 
coming to us in uh, just a couple of weeks' time down in Richmond, Virginia, at the Holiday Inn on Commerce Road. Uh, joining Stan Lane will be Dennis Condry, Bobby Eaton, and of course, the aforementioned Jim Cornette, who's bringing his entire Jim Cornette experience, a VIP experience, to this fantastic event that we're running our third year down in Richmond, Virginia, and to have the Midnight Express reunion, especially these three guys together, the the three members of the tag team that'll be in attendance to uh, go alongside their longtime manager, James E. Cornette. It's a hell of an experience. It's going to be a hell of a show. But to start it off with one hell of an interview here, John, with Sweet Stan Lane. What an awesome interview. And you're right. He's one of those bucket list guys to get on. And think about Team PT Con 3. Every year we kind of build it up bigger and bigger, better and better. And this year, definitely an old school flavor. The fans in Richmond were absolutely loving this pick. You go Mid-Atlantic, you go JCP, you go NWA, and that is Richmond, Virginia. And who else better than the Midnight Express headlining it? 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express. You got James E. Cornette. You got beautiful Bobby. You got the lover boy, Dennis Condry. And, of course, our man, Sweet Stan, who was our guest today, and he, what an awesome interview. He really doesn't do many interviews. If, if you really look around, you don't see many podcasts. You hardly ever really see any interviews. He's not really out and about too much. So he's definitely on the very, very rare category. It's just awesome to get him on and get his opinions and his feelings on a lot of things, not only about TMPT Con 3, but the history in Virginia, the history against the Rock and Roll Express, who, oh, by the way, Ricky and Robert will both be a part of TMPT Con 3 as well. So that just adds another Rock and Roll versus Midnight Feud and another epic feud from the JCP days, Mid-Atlantic days. And obviously, you know, the Richmond, Virginia days, we do get into some stories about them wrestling in that area. So that is very, very cool to kind of tie it all in, put a nice little bow on it. But with him, you know, the fact that he really doesn't get out there that much, but the fact that he probably should, given that he might have the greatest voice of all time. And I know, Chad, you are very jealous of his voice. Oh, my God. He's got such a natural uh, announcer voice. And it's cool to see that he still does his announcer work. I believe he would he say he's with the Outdoor Channel. And uh, it's just cool because I remember when he did the commentating and we'll get into it talking about his days as a WWF commentator. He's like the prototypical radio sounding guy. I mean, it's an old school flavor. Uh, You don't hear many guys that get into the business that sound like him. And uh, maybe I try even sometimes to take a little bit of Stan Lane with me when I'm uh, doing some sort of broadcasting endeavors. But he does have that prototypical voice, which makes it kind of hard to hate the guy when he's a bad guy, when he's a heel, because you think of that voice as uh, as being somewhat of a good guy. But the WWF announcer days, albeit mentioned briefly, I know you and I, I guess we're just such big marks. We do love him as a commentator, but man, he really didn't even kind of flinch (laughs) at the WWF announcer days. And we're really focused on the tag team stuff. But briefly, I mean, you, you brought it up. So let's uh, let's hit on it. I think we were both kind of taken aback. He really was not a fan of that uh, announcer run there with the WWF. I think he just wasn't a fan of the WWF in general, really, at that point. But he did say he did enjoy his work with Gorilla Monsoon and doing those voiceovers for Coliseum Video and, and working a little bit with Vince and obviously a little bit with Ted DiBiase as well. But he- he really did speak highly of Gorilla Monsoon, and I do love their work together. But it is funny, like he kind of 
you know, was saying, you know, basically to him, who obviously differs to us, but to him it was just a job, and, you know, he just uh, has a great voice and is good at doing voiceovers and things like that, and obviously he knows the wrestling business inside and out. So it was one of those things where it's just uh, him kind of saying, oh, well, you know, it was a job for a job, and he wasn't really upset to be, you know, exiting the WWF at that point in the mid-90s and kind of getting away from that and getting away from the wrestling business. But, you know, it's, it's funny looking back, you know, as fans, you definitely have a certain opinion of things. And we talk to the wrestlers, they're like, ah, well, it really wasn't into it that much. It wasn't that great. And you're like, wow, really? Because we loved it. We thought it was great. So that was like a fun little, you know, anecdote of part of the interview that we didn't really think we were going to get too much out of, but it was just fun to kind of to bring it up and, and reminisce about his days with WWF because, quite frankly, we kind of saying he doesn't do a lot of interviews and stuff. Well, he really doesn't talk about that time period hardly at all. So it's kind of interesting to get to be able to touch on that topic as well. Oh, my God, yeah. That's one of those things where you and I can name a couple matches he did off the top of his head. And, <laughs> you're, hey, any of those stand out? Nope, not really. We're like, damn it. Damn it, but... It was a great chat nonetheless, and it's going to be so much fun to see him down at TMPT Con 3. Uh, you've always brought it up. Who is your favorite version of the Midnight Express? Uh, obviously, we've always kind of leaned towards that uh, Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton uh, pairing. And I know you've asked it to Cornette a couple of times, and we've asked it to their opponents. You know, we've asked it to a lot of people. But uh, the fact that they're all going to be in one building, John, it's going to be pretty special. So as we wrap it up here, get ready for the intro. What are you looking forward to the most with Stan, with Bobby, with Dennis, all being under one roof, with James Z, the tennis racket I'm sure will be there. What are uh, some of your final thoughts here as we are only three weeks out from TMPT Con 3? I just think it's going to be so cool getting all those guys together. And obviously for the fans in attendance, get an awesome photo op with the Midnight Express. And if you want, jump in there get a photo op with the midnight express and the rock and roll express which i think is very cool because arguably and you're not going to get much arguing for me obviously but that, that is the greatest tag team for of all time with the greatest tag team matches of all time rock and rolls versus the midnight just love it but you know you're right i always kind of try to ask people you know maybe and then i know it's kind of a loaded question or maybe a silly question but i'm always kind of curious you know favorites and kind of softball questions so to speak but you never know the answer you're going to get and sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's interesting. And that's why you got to ask it. You got to see, you know, what you're going to get from it. I would say it's like the Michael K question. He always asks like a weird question that you're always like, eh, I don't know about that. But then sometimes the guy will shock you like Eli Manning years ago with that great answer about being elite. And then it kind of lives on. So, you know, sometimes you got to ask the question. So you ask Cornette, you say, you know, who's the best version of the midnight? Or you ask Sweet Stan, who's the best version of the midnight? And, you know, they always say, oh, you know, they're all equal or, or you know, they don't really give too much of an answer, but they go on about stories of why each one was special and each one was different in, in their own way. And to be honest, I love Bobby and Dennis and obviously with James e in the mix, but for some reason or another, Stan and Bobby to me, Kind of, I don't know. They did not. They meshed better together. Not they were better works or anything like that. For whatever reason, for me, I like them better as a team. And, and just a bunch by hair, not by much. And maybe if you ask me tomorrow, I might have a different answer. But right now, I'm thinking Bobby Eaton and Sweet Stan were, were the best version of Midnight. It's just such a good tag team, such great precision, such great matches. They literally could have a good match with anybody and, and kind of adapt to the style and just really really get the crowd involved in it and really bump their asses off and really really create a lot of heat and make the baby faces just look amazing and that was just the the magic of the midnight express then you throw in all their tag team maneuvers their psychology their ring work it's pretty much second to none and you're pretty much never going to ever find a great uh, greater tag 
team than the Midnight Express. And I love it. I love that we get the opportunity on May 18th in Richmond, Virginia, at the Holiday Inn down there in the RVA to get the chance to get these guys out there for this meet and greet and get them out there for this awesome pictures and, and signings and everything else. And it's going to be awesome to kind of pick their brains a little bit for the day as well. And, of course, got to mention this as well. James E. Cornette, VIP experience. You're going to find that a lot more about that as you pay attention to our social medias as we're selling some pretty a good amount of tickets right now, but there's going to be limited tickets available for that VIP. So I highly suggest getting involved with that because that is going to be something very, very special. If you've never had or never been a part of the Jim Cornette experience before live and in person, I guarantee you will love it. You get an unlimited amount amount of autographs an unlimited amount of pictures you're going to get some free pizza and a free gift so i mean it's just going to be an unbelievable experience down at tmpt con not only for the signing but also for the jim Cornette vip experience and of course our guest today a sweet stan is going to be all over that as he will be a major major force at tmpt con 3 and we just uh, we just revealed tonight as we're recording this the uh, the image that we'll be giving out to the vip uh, customers, the VIP patrons, anybody who'll be experiencing Jim Cornette in that uh, live environment. We got an awesome, uh, very rare picture of him in his uh, Jim Cornette ring attire that'll be uh, given out to you as a commemorative keepsake 8x10 for this special event. And uh, obviously, you'll be able to get it signed by Jim. And uh, it's really cool. And, and hopefully, if you're able to come out and you get one of those, uh, hold on to it, because that is a very rare image from the vault of the great JCP photographer, Eddie Cheslock. So we thank him for allowing us to use the image. And, of course, Eddie will be running around there all day as it is. But uh, the event itself, TMPT Con 3, a mere few weeks away, in addition to the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, and Jim Cornette, we will also have a little cool contingent of ECW that will be there. So obviously the polar opposite of Jim Cornette, but still our good buddy and co-host from the Triple Threat Podcast, the franchise Shane Douglas, will be reuniting with Francine down in Richmond for the first time ever. The two of them have ever been in the city of Richmond to get together. But also to throw in the Sandman, Jerry Lynn, and Justin Credible, three ECW champions that will be in the house for TMPT Con 3. And looking down the rest of the card, you got James J. Dillon. You've got Baby Doll. So Jim Cornette and Baby Doll in one room. If we think the Rock and Roll and the Midnights are going to uh, be like uh, fire and ice, I mean, there you go. Jim Cornette and Baby Doll as well. But we've also got from the World of Glow, we've got Gremlina. We've also got, who am I missing here? I feel like I always miss somebody, John. Anybody that, off the top of my head? We got Gremlina, we got JJ, we got Baby Doll, we got the Midnights, we got the Rock and Roll, we got Francine, we got Shane, Jerry. Earl Hebner Le- and oh, there Brian we go. <laughs> I know it's always somebody. Earl Hebner and Brian Hebner. How about that for a duo appearing at TMPT Con 3 together? Earl Hebner coming off all of this press for Dark Side of the Ring and the Montreal Screwjob. So if you if you have never met Earl, he's awesome, number one. But number two, I'd love to pick his brain about what he thought about the Dark Side of the Ring series. So if you haven't made your plans to get to TMPT Con 3, do yourself a favor. Throw it in the Google machine. Type in TMPT Con 3. It comes up with the date and everything. It gives you all the ticket links. Or go to brownpapertickets.com and get your Jim Cornette 
and the Midnight Express 35th anniversary tickets. It's going to be a happening. I cannot wait for this show to get here. We've been waiting on it for months, and it's almost here. So make your plans to join us now. So let's wrap it up here nice, John. Let's get it on over to Sweet Stan Lane. Let's hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and jump on the Midnight Express. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr. Glenn Kane, Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former AWA Southern Tag Team Champion, a former NWA United States Tag Team Champion, as well as an NWA World Tag Team Champion. You may know him from one half of the greatest tag team of all time, the Midnight Express. He is Sweet Stan Lane. Please enjoy. on the line tonight is a man who's coming to our 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette in Richmond, Virginia. When we think about the Midnight Express and we think of somebody who's sweet, we always think of Sweet Stan Lane, a three-time NWA United States Tag Team Champion, a 16-time AWA Southern Tag Team Champion. Mr. Lane, thank you for joining us. 
Hey, guys, it's my pleasure. Great to be with you. So we're having you come out to Richmond, Virginia, May 18th. It's the 35th anniversary of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. It's a uh, it's a show that's coming together very nicely, but we're so thrilled to have you coming back down to Richmond. Well, we are certainly looking forward to it. Uh, anytime you have the Jim Cornette experience, I mean, that in itself is, is a – is, is worth buying a ticket, but the fact that you're, you're going to have myself, Bobby Eaton, and Dennis Condry for a change, along with Jim Cornette, makes it the uh, you know complete uh, four course meal, so to say. And uh, we're all looking forward to it, and can't wait to get to Richmond on May the 18th. The two man power trip and the Midnight Express—you can't beat that combination, guys. <laughs> you absolutely can. I would think we're going to save that for a bumper down the road too, because that's a great association to uh, to have both the two-man power trip and the midnight express every iteration of the uh, the midnight express but the really cool thing about this reunion is the fact that dennis yourself and bobby you know all be together the three of you in itself to, is is almost a rarity to begin with but then now obviously the jim Cornette experience being thrown in you know he's such a a polarizing guy he's such a great figurehead for the group but the three of you together i think is something that the fans are going to come out in droves for well, it, it's very rare. I, I, was, I was trying to think about it earlier, and I, I can't even recall a time that, that all, uh, you know, Dennis, myself, and Bobby, uh, you know, did uh, one of these kind of shows. Uh, you know, Dennis, for many years, was, was, was kind of, uh, he sort of, like, disappeared, and, you know, nobody saw him, but, but now he's back, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him and hanging out with him, and I'm sure all the fans are going to have a great time, you know, uh, seeing us and talking to us as well. Um, even though even though the Midnight Express were were, were heels, you know, uh, for, for most of our career, we I, I think we're also sort of in, in a kind of a strange or twisted way, kind of fan favorites too. So uh, we we love you know meeting the fans and uh, certainly looking forward to May 18th. Yeah, absolutely. And the fans of Richmond are some of the best wrestling fans that you're going to find. And obviously, you guys did a lot of good stuff, a lot of bad stuff down there in Richmond, Virginia. Do you have any fond memories of the Richmond uh, stops on the uh, on the wrestling tours? Oh, I sure do, but I'm married now, so I better not talk about them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no uh, all, all those uh, Virginia towns were, were great. Uh, you know, we love Richmond. Uh, we love Norfolk, Virginia, uh, Virginia Beach. Gosh, I'd wish to go to all these clubs there with uh, the nature boy, Ric Flair. But, um I, I can't think of any like one uh, particular instance, but uh, just you know, we had so much fun. But you know, back in the day, uh, you know, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, and we were like flying around on on the Falcon uh, nine nine passenger jet. We we're flying around on the G eighteen, the the big. I think it was about a thirty seater uh, turbo prop, and I mean, we were living large, and it was just just a great time. I miss it, but you know, time goes on, and uh, you know, you can't you can't be young forever. Now, this is the third iteration of this show that we've done here. This is our third TMPT con, and it just has the Midnight Express tag to it. So every year that we've come, we've had people asking us to bring some former fashion of the Midnight Express to this show. We started out with the Horsemen. We did a little bit more of a uh, Monday Night Wars flavor last year. But this year, we're uh, answering the fans' demands and bringing the Midnight Express. And another group that you guys are very familiar with, Ricky and Robert, will also be in the building, so I hope everybody kind of keeps themselves in check that day. Well, I'll try to control myself. <laughs> are, those guys, are those guys still wrestling? Yeah, yeah, they're still out wow. there every so often. 
that's amazing. God bless them. They they were just uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think, last year. So I'm I'm very I'm very proud that that, that they were they were they were certainly uh, fun guys, you know, to work with. And you know, I mean, we got we got intense heat, especially on on, on you know Ricky being the the smaller of, of the two and the blonde hair, and, and he could sell like he was going to the electric chair and. I mean, we we had some some stellar matches with with the Rock and Roll Express. I, if I say so myself, I think they'll go down in history as some of maybe uh, p- perhaps the greatest uh, tag team matches of all time. Oh, absolutely! If not the greatest tag team rivalry of all time, the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express, and that Hall of Fame induction with the WWE and the WWE having you know ninety five percent of the footage of all those matches helps educate newer fans that are just starting to hear about the midnight express through that rock and roll express induction so in a way you know even though you guys were at at odds all those years on both sides of the uh, the ring uh, they're kind of helping the midnights get back out there again with all the uh, the newer fans checking you guys out right right um i was uh I get on uh, YouTube every now and then and watch, watch some of the old matches and not, uh, you know, the Midnight Express so much, but, but my other uh, tag team that I was in with Steve Kern, uh, the fabulous one, seeing seeing some of those uh, music videos that we did are, <laughs> are, are kind of blood-curdling now. Go, oh, my God, did we do that? But, you know, back then it was, it was like, really cool. You know, everybody liked it. But, um, yeah, <laughs> you know, times change. Yeah, and that's what's funny, too. We actually we talked to Steve about a year and a half ago, and we are talking about those videos. And it's not about the content. It's just about the fact that you guys pulled off a lot of those, uh, you know, the, those photo shoots. And to see them in video form, you know, 30 years later, it's definitely something to look back on, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it would, uh, it would get over today, certainly. Uh, but, you know, back then in the 80s, I guess it was a kind of a different, different time. And, um, you know, there's... Uh, the girls loved it. I guess. I guess seeing that stuff today, I guess everybody would love it if you catch my drift. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days. The fabulous ones. Another underrated tag team that you were a part of. That's just great with Steve Kern. But if I could just go back for a second to the Midnight Express, and obviously being in Richmond and doing our show and having Jim Cornette there and Dennis and Bobby. But I want to kind of touch on. You joining the Midnight Express in 87 and basically replacing Dennis Conjure, was that a surprise to you that you were joining the Midnight Express? It was. It, it happened very suddenly. Uh, Steve Kern and I were, were down in, in Florida working for Eddie Graham, and uh, we, we, we just left uh, uh, Vern Gagne's uh, AWA. We, we went back and worked for Jerry Jarrett for a, a while, but uh, when we left there, uh, originally you know they 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 bared us pretty bad so uh when we came back we just just didn't have that same that same sizzle that we that we had you know originally and uh but uh you know we wanted to go off and you know take the fabs on a more of a national national kind of a tour thing which which you know we did we we, we worked all the major cities for, for Vern, san francisco salt lake city winnipeg you know chicago the list goes on and on but uh when we left uh, Tennessee uh, for the second time we went back down to Florida and uh, the territory wasn't wasn't really doing all, all that great um, Steve's father-in-law uh, was a big uh, real estate uh, developer down there and he decided that that um, he was gonna uh, retire from from wrestling and uh, get into the uh, real estate business with his father-in-law and I, I I didn't blame him I mean you know if you have a chance to make a lot of money that's you know more power to you but so he left, and that kind of like left left me as a single there in a territory that wasn't really doing all that much anyway. So um, 
about a month, I guess, uh, after he left, J.J. Uh, Dillon approached me at TV uh, in the Sportatorium one day and said that uh, Dusty Rhodes uh, wants you to contact him. And I really, I said, okay, so I did. And uh, they uh, flew me up there. Uh, Bobby met me at the airport in Charlotte. We went down and uh, talked to Jim Crockett. We talked to Dusty. And uh, uh, the rest is, is, is history. So, yes, it, uh, to answer your question, it was certainly a, a, a surprise, a shock, but a, a very, very pleasant surprise, I might say. So great that you replace an iconic tag wrestler. But in my view, in some people, in a lot of people's view, maybe have made the team better, or maybe made the team different. But still, that same chemistry with Bob Eaton was there. How the heck did you guys manage to kind of mesh so well so quickly? Because it literally seemed like you guys known each other, you know, forever and were teaming forever because your chemistry was instant. I appreciate that. I, I think it, it goes back to the fact that uh, we had both uh, worked, uh, you know, tag teams uh, uh, predominantly throughout our uh, both of our. Uh, careers, you know, not not being really large guys, you know, six feet, six one, you know, two twenty. I mean, we were we weren't, weren't going to be a big single star, so so we we worked uh, tag teams mostly. I, I I did do some, I did some singles uh, with the junior heavyweight belt uh, you know, for a while in in Georgia, and also the uh, Pensacola uh, territory. But but you know, mostly uh, tag team stuff. Plus the fact that we'd uh, we'd also both of us had uh, worked worked down south almost exclusively too you know and and uh, you're working for jerry jarrett in that territory doing all the gimmicks and stuff and the and the high flying and the tags it, it just you know he was used to it i was used to it plus i i'd known bobby uh, uh from the memphis uh, territory too so we just we just seemed to gel and uh it, it was just that that spark was there and we just took off with it of course having having jim Cornette as as their not only our manager uh but our mentor as well and, and and you know jimmy is a genius when it comes to to you know come up with 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 uh you know double team moves and and finishing moves and high spots and stuff so it, it was a three-man definitely a three-man team it, would, it wasn't just me and bobby believe me man those tag team maneuvers you guys would do the the guys how you're in sync even the tags tagging in and out knowing the right time just it was just you know it's a master because we even say it all the time today you watch tag team wrestling it's not the same as it was then and you guys were so good and so smooth and like you said you're a three-man team but you and bobby in the ring were just so smooth was there even communication between you guys because honestly it just seems like you guys just kind of knew what the other one was going to do yeah i mean you know we did we didn't do a whole lot of a whole lot of planning out you know that that, that was back then when you know guys i i don't watch wrestling i hadn't watched it in Hmm. decades but uh from what i hear they they like you know uh, memorize every single move every spot and it's all yes out, which it, yeah it's, it's horrifying you know it, you know, the actual working I, I guess is a dead art or a dying art but uh we we would have the 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 heat spot and uh we'd have the finish of course and uh maybe we would come up with a couple of high spots uh you know go over those but you know besides that it, it was it was just off the cuff you know because each as you guys know, each crowd's different, and you know some crowds are, are more into the heat. You know some crowds are more into the entertainment, you know, uh, aspect of it. So you need to go out there and have your match and kind of feel the crowd out, and then and then you know tailor your match to the crowd. And that that's that's what 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 the art of, of working is all about. You know, every night's different, every crowd's different. 
And that's kind of not what goes on today because it is so choreographed. It's just like, like no matter how the crowd reacts or what happens, they're going to do the same thing regardless, which is completely different than what you're talking about, where you're actually paying attention to the crowd, feeling the crowd out, and really, really you know, working, so to speak. Yeah, uh, you know, you almost like uh, become one with the crowd. You, you can, I mean, you're, you're down there surrounded by them, and you can, you can feel their emotions almost. I mean, it sounds kind of esoteric, but I mean, you, you can actually, you know, down there in the heat of the moment with the bright lights on you, and, and the fans are, are so close, and they're yelling, they're screaming, or they're crying, or they're happy. You know, you, you like play off of that, and like it, it, it feeds into you, and you give them, you know, what you think that is going to make them, you know, have the best time they that they possibly can. And you know, like I say, every crowd's different. Now, coming off of the fabulous one, and then obviously, eventually, in '87, teaming up with Bobby Eaton, become Midnight Express. Were you kind of surprised you went from one team that was so popular and so good? to another team and it almost superseded the the first team were you surprised that like wow like you know i somehow topped what i did with the fabulous ones yeah i, I didn't really at the time i, I didn't i didn't think about it i'm I just kind of going you know with the flow and uh, and i you know i didn't know how it you know would work out but i was i was certainly happy that, that it, it worked out to be so uh the success that it turned out to be um, you know, the uh, fabulous ones, we, we started out, you know, regionally with, with, with Jerry Jarrett. Then we went up, went up for Vern, and it was more of a national thing. But, but you know, Vern uh, did not have that uh, super station, you know, the, the, the national uh, exposure that, that you know, uh, we got from uh, Ted Turner after uh, Jim Crockett sold uh, the business. And uh, I, I didn't know that it would, it would do what it did. Um, you know, I just, I just thought, you know, just, you know, go in there give it your best and, you know, see what happens. And, you know, like I say, I, where I came from Florida, you know, not, not doing all that great, you know, financially down there and thinking, you know, where, where do I go next? And, you know, I, I gotta do something. I can't, Steve's gone, you know, my partner that I've had for the past uh, several years and now I'm on my own. I got I need to do something, but I didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of like spinning my wheels down there. And then that phone call came. It, it was just fate. And, uh, and everything, you know, everything uh, turned out very, very well for me. I was very fortunate. So great that the Midnight Express can have good matches with anybody. And I'm not talking just good matches, the best match on the card. They would always steal the show, whether you're wrestling the Road Warriors, whether you're wrestling Arn and Tully, whether you're re- wrestling the Fantastics or or, you know, Rock and Roll Express, you guys always had the best match on the card. Did you guys kind of take pride in almost stealing the show, so to speak? Uh, yeah, uh, we did. Uh, we uh, we also took pride in, like, outdrawing out uh, some of the, some hmm. of the you know, top stars. Uh, a lot of times, you know, back in the day, they, uh, uh, the company ran two towns a night. They had the what they would call the A-town and the B-town. And, you know, some nights, sometimes – us as uh, the main event on the B town would actually outdraw the A town, which, you know, it probably got some heat on us, you know, doing that. But yeah, as far as, as far as, as, you know, trying to have the best, uh, best match on the card. Absolutely. We, we took a lot of, of, of pride in that. And that's, that's why we were so uh, astounded and shocked when, when, when guys like uh, Jim heard and, you know, guys uh, that, that were with him, you know, like he saw us, you know, doing that kind of stuff. I, Having a, having absolutely fantastic matches, but yet didn't 
didn't see it for what it was and didn't really appreciate us. And like, <laughs> we're like, you know, what's happened? We're, we're still working hard. We still look the same. You know, we're still, you know, having that our, our 100%, you know, 100% effort, but yet it's not being appreciated anymore. So it, it was very disheartening. It is crazy because when you guys basically split up and you and Cornette left WCW, I mean, it was almost like as if the tag team era of wrestling almost kind of left when you guys did. It was almost like that was the end of an era for tag team wrestling. I would agree. Yeah, it, it was um, it, it was crazy when when uh, when Jimmy and I uh, left there that night. Um, you know, Bobby stayed because he he was married. He had kids. He had a family to, to feed. But when uh, when when Jim and I left that night and we're driving from, I think it was Atlanta uh, back to Charlotte. I mean, it was like the weight of the entire world had, had been lifted off of us. It was just I mean, because we were so abused there for like I I can't remember how long it was. You know, Jimmy would probably know, but uh, it, it was it was months and months, and I mean, we were just you know treated horribly and uh, you know unappreciated. And so when, when we left there, we, it was like, you know, screw them. We're out of here. You know, we don't, you know, we don't need this. I mean, we, we worked, we worked too hard, you know, over the years to be, uh, you know, mistreated like this. It is crazy that they would mistreat you guys and not see you for where you were, because literally, I mean, you, you go out there with the wild-eyed Southern boys or the dynamic dudes or Zinc and Pillman. I mean, a- anybody, you guys would elevate them, have the best match of the night, and make the other team look good and you know, basically do your job as the heel or even when you guys were, were baby faces, you guys always did such a good job getting the other team over. Why do you think, you know, that they, they kind of, you know, missed the boat, so to speak, uh, on the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette? Well, I think I think when you hire a person to run the business who has absolutely no knowledge of, of wrestling, who I think he came from a, uh, a pizza background. I mean, I, I don't know how he got hired, who he knew, who he blew, whatever, but, but he did not know a wrist lock from a wristwatch. Uh, he did, did not have a clue. He, he saw, you know, guys that, that were big and huge or guys like Luger or, or Sting or something that had, you know, had that look. And that's what he thought, you know, I guess was going to sell, but, th- but the same guy, you know, came up with like gimmicks, like, like the ding-dongs. I mean, it's like, what the, you know, what's this guy smoking? You know, he's a freaking idiot. So, you know, I, I have no idea. And at one point, supposedly wanted to make Rick Flair, one of the greatest of all time, into Spartacus and, cha- and right. change. Right, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think Flair was like going through the same, the same, you know, mental anguish that uh, we were. He, he was, he was being, abuse and attempted to run, run him off as well. So yeah, yeah, he was right there uh, with us. He, he was going through the same thing that we were. But I, I guess you, you can't win them all. You know, you have your ups and downs. But it's it's a shame when 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 uh, the person is you know bringing you down. You know, hadn't got a clue about the, the entire business. That is uh, for sure. And trying to train, you know, trying to change Flair is definitely strange. Speaking of Flair, he didn't train many wrestlers, and obviously you were one of the guys he, he did train. Is that kind of a reason why you were able to kind of understand and work the business so well? I mean, did he do an excellent job of training, or were you just that natural to the business where you kind of just picked up on it and you got it really well? Well, um, my, my uh, grandfather, um, who was a Baptist minister, absolutely loved wrestling. I mean, he would sit in front of his TV, and he would – 
had his fist balled up, and he gets so excited and mad. And I started I started watching wrestling with him back in the '60s. Uh, I'm talking Rick uh, Rip Hawk, Sweet Hanson. Uh, uh, my granddad loved uh, Johnny Weaver and George Becker, you know, the uh, good guys, and, and you know, hated Rip Hawk, Sweet Hanson, hated um, Aldo Bogney and, and uh, Bronco Lubitsch and their manager, Homer Odell. So I, and the uh, Kentuckians were in that era. So I, I grew up watching it. So I, I kind of knew, you know, you know, what, what to do. Um, uh, you know, Rick and I just hit it off. I was, uh, uh, living in Myrtle Beach and uh, you know bouncing at the uh, at the hottest club on, on the beach, a uh, club called Mother Fletcher's, and I also worked uh, part time at the Myrtle Beach Hilton uh, doing room service. So he and I just just happened to bump in, into each other, and and I was sort of living uh, Ric Flair's gimmick on the beach. <laughs> you know, I was I was I was I was all jacked up and tanned, and I had you know blonde hair, and and I knew. A lot of the uh, you know prettiest uh, local girls. So I invited Rick and uh, Greg Valentine and uh, Blackjack Mulligan to a, a a pool party at the Landmark Hotel. And then then uh, when they showed up there, I showed up with about three three of my you know female friends, and they all you know loved that kind of stuff. And now you know putting them over, and, and we were all buying drinks. So then I invited them down uh, you know to the nightclub mother Fletcher's as as the guest judges for the wet t-shirt contest so I, <laughs> I, I kind of worked it you know myself I kind of you know got myself over with him and I got his phone number stuff and you know the rest is history but yeah we, we had a great time um, I, I used to travel to the uh, you know matches uh, you know riding with Rick and uh, you know we'd go down to Charleston or we'd go up to Richmond or wherever and, and 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 he had me doing doing these uh, Hindu squats, and I, <laughs> the first day it about killed me. But but I you know you know worked up to where I could knock out 500 with without even breaking a sweat. So you know he and I would do the Hindu squats uh, before the matches, and all the you know the uh, the old timers were like loving that. Go yeah yeah that's a good thing, kid. You know he, he's getting you trained right. And then and then would you know go over holes. And I I remember you know Johnny Weaver uh, you know give me a seminar about selling, how to, how to do this and, you know, crank the arm and stuff. And uh sweet Hanson was, was, was great, great to me. You know, I, I worked with, with him in the, in the dressing room a lot. Didn't have a whole lot of ring workouts, maybe, maybe three, three or four, but um, yeah, it was a, a, a great experience. Cause I mean, you know, Rick, Rick was like my, you know, I, I like idolized him. I loved his promos and stuff. <laughs> he, he's, he's gotten to the point. Where I can walk into any bar in that country and the women pass out. <laughs> I, just, I just I ate that stuff up with a spoon, man. I was like, that's that, this guy's cool, you know. I like him. But uh, yeah, so it, I mean, I, I was just at the right place at the right time, and, and you know, fate, um, fate, you know, played it out for me. As far as your background as wrestling and stuff, do you actually have that karate and martial arts background that you you know you obviously put into a lot of the matches is that part of obviously part of your repertoire but is that actually part of your background as well yeah you know i uh, as a matter of fact um uh we're going to be moving soon and i was i was going through a bunch of old old boxes and stuff that i had and i and i found my uh karate card the the uh the style that, that i took was called kite shinkai it, it was a shotokan it's a japanese style and I had I had my uh, you know, membership card, and I want to say it's like in the late '60s when I first started. Which, you know, back then not not a, a whole lot of guys did did that kind of stuff. You know, you had like Chuck Norris and a, a guy named Joe Joe Lewis L E W I S from uh, Nightdale, North Carolina. He he was a, a big a big guy in that era. 
But yeah, I I uh, I took karate for several years. I fought in uh, tournaments for a, a couple of years too. So I I, I did have, of course. I I mean, I, I was never a, a black belt or or brown or purple. I got my blue belt. So I, I was just 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 a mid level guy. But I, but I really enjoyed it. And so, um, you know, you most most uh, wrestlers that did the karate gimmick, you know, back in the day, they did like a, like a an open hand karate thrust or something like that. But but I think you know me doing the actual actual kicks, I, I, I did like the side kick, I, I did a hook kick, um, a couple of um, uh, maiwashi they, they they call them, which is Japanese for roundhouse. I, I did a bunch of those. So I actually threw in. In my repertoire, in my working style, I threw in some real kicks. So I think that kind of that kind of got me over a little bit. Now I kind of can't put over the Midnight Express and the tag team maneuvers and all that stuff enough because the psychology you guys had was just great. And I just remember back when you guys were shooting with Arn and Tully, it was almost heel versus heel. And I remember just that those matches being fun and and not that long ago, Cornette had a uh, tape of one of the matches you guys had in Philly where the, where the title change happened. Obviously Arn and Tully would end up going to WBF, but just watching that match, you guys, and I'm watching JJ and Cornette. It was, it was just a masterpiece of kind of how to work when you're, you know, in that situation and, and, you know, that's happening. Are you kind of just, you know, do you know basically what, what you're going to do as far as like, okay, they're the faces, we're the heels, or is, or is it one of those things where like, oh, let's see how the crowd reacts. It's really heel versus heel, so to speak. Well, you know, yeah. Uh, once again, it's it's always it's always the crowd who who you know decides. Um, you know, those guys are such are such uh, consummate professionals and great workers that you know we knew that, that we were going to have excellent matches. We we didn't really care, you know, who who was the baby face, who was the heel. Um, what what you know disappointed me was uh, the fact that they left so soon because that that could have been an awesome long term program. You know, I mean, we as you said, we had some great matches with them, but but they weren't weren't there. You know, that long they they uh, you know left uh, you know rather quickly. And uh, and I, I I hate the fact that, that we couldn't have had like a a good six month program with with them because because it would have been awesome. Would have been so good. I mean, those. Men- Matches were just masterful, and the way you know you guys were working, and the ins and outs, and the tag wrestling, and playing the ref involved. I mean, it was literally just this stuff of magic, and and that kind of art is almost lost. I know you don't watch wrestling tape, but it's definitely lost on wrestling. I I love to go back and watch the old tapes, or you know you you watch some old Mid South and you and the Rock and Roll Express, and you know the way you're working it, or or um, uh, not Mid South. I mean. Um, uh jcp and you go back and you watch some of those matches it's just just amazing stuff about how well tag team wrestling was and how tag team wrestling was in in certain areas the main event you know what i mean like nowadays it's only singles matches really considered main event in in your day tag team matches were considered main event level matches exactly yeah you're right um there there were so many great great tag teams back then too the the uh fan taxes Fantastics, you know, come to mind too, which they they were actually a uh, originally a uh, spinoff of of the fabulous ones. They were they were called the Fantastic Ones when they they first started. But but, but when when I was in the Midnight Express and, and uh, Bobby and Tommy were the the Fantastics, we had some awesome matches with with them as well. But yeah, you're right. Um, you know, tag teams were were usually uh, almost always smaller guys with with a lot of speed, a lot of action, and 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 then the fact that you can 
that you can like you know double up on a guy and you know like two on one is is, is always going to get you get you some massive heat because it's just not fair you know it's, and that's going to make the people the people mad but um, it just it just gives a, a different dynamic you know to it and uh, yeah it's it's a lot uh, it's a lot of fun and I'm sure it's 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 probably long gone now. I'd, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't uh, mention my my final uh, tag team partner who was a great worker in his own right and that's uh the heavenly bodies tom pritchard had a great time uh, with tom as well yes yeah, smoky mountain the last real territory i like to say with uh, jim Cornette, the last real tor- territory in wrestling when you left obviously wcw kind of went back to uswa for a little bit but then ended up at smoky mountain with Cornette and formed the heavenly bodies with tom pritchard and again instantly had great chemistry with another tag partner I definitely, you mentioned that's that's a great tag team. I love that team. That is so good. And somehow end up feuding with the Rock and Roll Express yet again. Right, right. It, it was a, a great concept. <clears throat> and um, originally I was uh, supposed to move uh, to Knoxville. But I, but I was I was really at that stage in, in my, my career. I was kind of I was kind of losing my my you know love, love of the business. I'd gotten I'd gotten soured by by Jim Hurd and his crew down at WCW, and I was I, I really wanted to hang in there, but uh, the fact that I, I didn't move uh, to Knoxville, I stayed in Charlotte, and I, I was having to, to drive up uh, there you know every weekend, and I, we were as, as you know Smoky Mountain, it was in the the heart of the Smoky Mountains, and we were going up and down those mountains and around those mountains. And I, I went through about three or four sets of breaks in about I think, <laughs> nine months time. And on top of that, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy, who was attempting to get, get the territory rolling, you know, was, was kind of doing, doing a little, little bit of hot shotting and, you know, putting some, a lot of heat, heat on us. And we were working these towns like Hazard, Kentucky and Harlan, Kentucky and up in West Virginia and stuff. And I mean, we, we had, we had a lot, a lot of heat on us. And I was thinking, you know, I'm going to probably wind up getting stabbed <laughs> one of these nights. And I really, you know, I, I was just kind of losing my, losing my taste for it. So I uh, eventually left and just, uh, you know, retired uh, completely. Of course, uh, Jimmy, uh, the late uh, gigolo Jimmy Del Rey stepped in and did, did a great job in my place. But uh, yeah, that, that was my final, final territory. Hey, let's pause for one second to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher 70% organic and available in three delicious flavors including fudgy mocha latte salted caramel macchiato and peanut butter mocha my personal favorite now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real ethically sourced ingredients so if you want more information head on over to www.eatyour.coffee as well as follow them on Instagram follow them on Facebook follow them on Pinterest and follow them on Twitter and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars yeah i guess that was the the end of the road there for you in your wrestling career but you do end up in the wwf how did that kind of happen did 
was that something that they reached out to you? They wanted you to be a part of the broadcast team? Is you know, did you get the word from Cornette that Vince is interested in you? How does that happen? Well, it happened uh, through uh, Jerry Jarrett. At that at that time, that was when uh, Vince was had, had been charged with the federal steroid uh, charges, and they they actually thought that he was going to do time, and and so they uh, you know looked around to find a, a person who could run his uh, business while he he was away. A person who could not only you know draw money, but who was who was also known as a, a frugal uh, you know promoter, and and you know Jerry Jarrett was all those things. He was he was he had a great mind, um, you know he knew how to uh, you know do business, draw money, but yet you know he he could he could do it on a fairly good budget. And you know Vince had always been the of course the top guy, so they weren't sure you know how the business was go- was going to be with him gone. So they were assuming that he that he was going to do time. So they brought uh, Jerry Jarrett up there, you know, to take Vince's spot. Well, Jerry Jarrett, you know, thought about me and uh, my my uh, DJ voice, which is crazy because, you know, he and I had, had made a few uh, trips together from Nashville to Memphis and back, and I just, had just like, you know, for, for a joke, I don't even know how it came up, but I, I just used to do like a DJ voice, you know, golden oldies, you know, and, and he thought that was, that was pretty neat. <laughs> so when they were talking about, you know, bringing in some some broadcasters who who weren't like you know professionals who would work for a little less, you know, that on that budget kind of thing. You know, he thought about bringing bringing me up. So so he called me, and I said, sure. I mean, I'd never never broadcasted a day a day in my life. And uh, you know, when I got up there, shortly after that, after I got moved in and stuff, they they uh, found out that Vince um, was not going to go to prison. So, you know, so as soon as that happened, uh, I felt like they were immediately trying to run off uh, n- not only myself, but, but, but Jerry Jarrett, too. You know, they didn't need us, need us anymore. So they, when I first got there, they, they stuck me into the number one rated show, Superstars, with, with the number one uh, guy, Vince McMahon, you know, the owner, the boss. And, and, you know, here I am. I'd never broadcasted it for a, a minute. So they kind of like stuck me into like a no win no win situation. It was almost a you know guaranteed to fail fail kind of thing. But I I managed to last uh, two years because because knowing that I was not going to wrestle again, I I thought to myself you know you need to learn yourself a new skill. You need to you know maybe just kind of like you're here, take advantage of it. You know ride the wave in. You know go with the punches. You know. Take take the crap from uh, Kevin Dunn and you know Bruce Pritchard or whoever. Whatever you have to do, just just hang in there and learn this business. And that's what I did. I I didn't like living there. I hated Stanford, Connecticut. I'm a you know kind of like Cornette. I'm a Southern boy. I, I like to see green grass. And I, I, I lived <laughs> in a high rise apartment in Stanford. And I, I just I just was not happy. But I I gutted it out for about two years. And as soon as I left there. Uh, Within a month, I got hired as a broadcaster for, you know, Superboat International Promotions, broadcasting offshore powerboat racing, which I absolutely love. And I did that for 20 years. So it all worked out for me. And those are two pivotal years that you were there because it was the end of basically, you know, the quote Hogan era and then moving into the new generation where it was basically all new stars and guys that were coming up through the ranks for years that were now in top spots. But when I think about those two years uh, of you being up there as a commentator, you know, I think of you being paired with not only Vince, but also the, the legendary gorilla monsoon, as well as a guy like Ted DiBiase, who was still new to commentating 
temporarily at that point. But I think it's remarkable that in the world of the WWF that you were able to actually keep your name and be Stan Lane on the air. <laughs> yeah. i tell you, uh, Gorilla Monsoon was just a sweetheart of a man. I, I really enjoyed working with him, uh, enjoyed working with Ted, too. Um, we, did, we, did, we did some of the uh, Coliseum video uh, tapes and stuff. But, uh, yeah, that that uh, uh, two years that I was there from 94 through 96, I, I'm, not, I'm not knocking any any talent, you know, because cause the gimmicks that, that they were given was not their fault. But to me, that, you know, two years, I, I guess they were so – paranoid and so worried about being uh you know politically correct after the events had that scare that they came up with these goofy you know kids uh, gimmicks and, and I'm, I'm not trying to you know uh you know cast aspersions towards anybody but gimmicks like you know duke the dumpster drossy garbage man a bastion booger i mean I, it just i was thinking like, you know what's going on here but it, it it wasn't the talent's fault certainly it was it was it was the it was the the management doing that to them but you know giving them these you know, crazy gimmicks. And then one constant in your career, James E. Cornette was also in the company at that point. So it's kind of funny that you have two prominent members of the Midnight Express, but up there in uh, in, a, in an alternate WWF universe, like you said, where Vince is fighting for his life. So you've got Jerry Jarrett backstage. You've got Cornette as, as the top manager. You've got yourself on commentary and you see, start to, you see some of the other guys sprinkled in, in the management uh, side, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty funny place where everybody ends up. Yeah, you know the old saying, "Never say never," because I mean, it, you, you never know what's going to happen. I I watched a couple of years ago these these uh, I don't know if they were podcasts or just videos or, or what they are, but but uh, you know, Cornette was just I mean, just absolutely burying you know guys guys from up there, and and then you know at, after years of doing that and seeing how much he just totally hates them and despises them. I mean, he gets brought back for a Hall of Fame induction, so you just never know. <laughs> now, do you have a match as a commentator that you really enjoyed uh, being able to sit back and call the action on? You know, not really. I, I was, I mean, I I did that job, but I, I just, uh, you know, because of the circumstances, I was never really, really into it. I mean, I'd it was when you when you uh, when you go from being a talent to being uh, being a commentator. You know, with me, I it, it was kind of hard. You know, to make that transition. I I, I kind of felt like I was going from being a being a talent, being a star, to being like like a a fan. You know, like a, a mark almost. And I, it was kind of difficult for me. And and I, I I look back back at that. And I don't really you know think that I was I did all that all that good a job, and I, I don't think they thought that I, that I did either. And uh, you know I just I don't really have a a favorite match. No. I did love you calling you and Gorilla calling the Steiner brothers versus Brett and Owen Hart one of the greatest tag team matches I've ever seen. Hmm. Well, I appreciate hearing that. I, I, I'm trying to think back in my old feeble brain. I, I can't even remember that, that match. All I know that it was, you know, Gorilla was a very, a very nice, uh, kind guy. You know, uh, uh, to me, uh, you know, in, in a period that I, I didn't really feel like I, I was wanted there. You know, very much, and, and hmm. I, I was I always uh, uh, respected him. He, he was a great guy, but. Um, yeah, I, I don't really <laughs> recall that, that match. Uh, I apologize, but I, I just don't. 
Hey, that's no problem. Great match that that uh, we definitely remember. We remember you calling it greatly with Gorilla as well. But as we hit the wind down button and we start to wind it down, got to ask this because, you know, we always say to Cornette when we have him on or we talk to him, joke around like, oh, who's your favorite Midnight Express? And he goes, oh, I can't answer. I like Dennis and Bobby for this reason. I like Bobby and Stan for this reason. But obviously we can't let Dennis hear this part. But uh, my favorite Midnight Express has got to be Sweet Stan and beautiful Bobby. You guys, it's just something about you guys together, you guys meshing as a team. But do you have any favorite matches of the Midnight Express? Um, I'm, I'm sure I do. I, I, I should have thought about this stuff before you guys called and like written down stuff. You know, <laughs> at, at my age, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing 66. You know, Cornette's memory is is just fun. Of course, he, he's a little younger than I am, but but his memory is just amazing. But I, you know, half the stuff that I hear him say, I'm, I I completely forgot about. It. I go, yeah, that's right. I remember that now, but I. I mean, you know, the, the memories are gone. I, I, I wrestle so many – and I, I don't mean I wrestle so many great matches but because I'm great, certainly. I, I wrestled so many great matches because I had great opponents to work with and also a, a great manager and a tag team partner. But um, not not one, you know, stands out as far as, as, far as you know, the best one that I ever had or, or whatever. I, I really – Enjoyed, you know, working with the rock and roll. I enjoyed the fantastic. I I, I enjoyed the Steiner brothers. Rick Steiner uh, was amazing. I mean, the, the Steiner brothers liked us, thank God, because I mean, <laughs> if they did like, they could make your life miserable. Not not only uh, you know in the ring, but in the dressing room, they would they would take guys down like like Luger, you know, big six foot four Luger, and just and just stretch him uh, unmercifully. But but they liked it. But Rick Steiner would tell me to 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 give him a sidekick right in the forehead as hard as I wanted to. And I go, Rick, I, I, I don't want to do that. He go, no, I want you to. It's going to look good. So, I mean, you know, we'd do spots where, where he would allow me to, to kick him right in the forehead, and, and the crowd would just always pop because, I mean, they, they, they had to. He was such a such a tough guy and had such a thick skull, I guess, that it didn't bit and bother him. But we had some great matches with Rick and Scotty. Um, the Road Warriors, we, you know, we, we, had, we had our – or, you know, good matches with them. It, it, it was a little, little rough. You know, you got a lot of, a lot of airtime, and they, they, you know, they were a little snug. But I always liked them. And um, gosh, I mean, I, I could go, go, you know, down the list. But uh, you know, the, the thing about, about Bobby and I, uh, you know, we, we kind of prided ourselves on being able to work with anybody. I mean, we, you know, we weren't, uh, didn't have egos. We, we, we worked a sold-out match with the Mulkey brothers. In their hometown, I, I think I want to say Greenwood, South Carolina. Maybe it was a different small town, but we we sold that place out. And, and I, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed working with those guys. They were great guys. They were they were like um, enhancement talent then. But I mean, they would sell their their souls, you know, for you on on you know TV. So we went up up there to their hometown and put them over, and it, it didn't bother us one iota. I mean, there was you know there were there, there were great guys. And that's the thing about you guys. You guys made everybody look good. I mean, the Southern boys, both on their own, good wrestlers, good workers. But for whatever reason, and obviously you guys were a huge part of this, they wrestle you, boom, they're having amazing matches with the crowd is going nuts for them. And maybe the crowd hadn't really had that reaction to them before. Um, Pillman and Zink, both good wrestlers in their own right, weren't really as over. They wrestle you guys, boom, super over, and just having great matches. Dynamic dudes. 
obviously uh, Shane it might be a better worker than Johnny Ace. Uh, Johnny Ace became a great worker, but when they're a few with you guys, they both looked great. It's it's just funny. It's just one of those things that I always, as a fan, always appreciate. Like, man, these guys can make anyone look good out there in the tag division. And the Mulkey Bros, that's funny that you brought them up because that, that's a perfect example right there. Yeah, yeah. It, it was fun. We uh, we were also probably you know one of the the few the few teams when when the uh, enhancement talent would would uh, arrive at TV and they would like you know you uh, going there to the uh, sheet that was on on the wall saying you know who, who you were going to work with when they saw our names they just like thank you God <laughs> because, <laughs> because you know number one they knew that they weren't going to get hurt and number two that you know. We were gonna we we're gonna make them look good, you know. Before before you can beat somebody, you need to build them up some because if not, you're not beating anybody, you know. If you go, you go out there and just pound meat and just totally, you know, decimate your uh, opponent, it doesn't mean as much. If you go out there and, and give them some spots and stuff, uh, you know, it, it just it just means a whole lot more. So they're always always very very happy to see, uh, you know them uh, versus the midnight express <laughs> on, on on the tv match that is uh, so true and as far as you and bobby and that chemistry being great is it kind of one of those things where it's like opposites attract so to speak where it's like he's very quiet obviously doesn't talk much but in the ring my god he's just one of the greatest workers of all time you great worker great athlete but such a great voice such a good talker is that one of those things where you guys mesh well together because it's almost opposites attracting. Well, you know, it could be. I, I never really thought of it that, that way. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby's work. I mean, he, you know, he threw this, uh, threw one of the best, uh, you know, working punches in the business, and, and he could just could do it all. Plus, plus, he was a legitimate tough guy. You know, outside the ring, a great, great street fighter. And um, yeah, and you know, me, I, I mean, with 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 Cornette's, uh, you know, mouthpiece. I mean, you know, all, all you got to do is just just sit back and let and let him go. I mean, there's there's nobody that's going to top him as far as far as talking. So, um, you know, I I didn't do a whole lot of you know interview talking because because Jimmy is, is so good. I mean, I I don't hold a candle to that. If you've got the best, you know, let them roll. And so I I, I was just very very fortunate, you know, to have not only Bobby as the worker because because Bobby took took you know the most bumps. So I I just kind of like filled in the gaps. And then Jimmy on on, on the microphone on the on the stick, you know, he was just off the charts great. I mean, he could get intense heat, or he could make you make you just double over laughing. I mean, it's you know, I, I watch the stuff you know nowadays, and I think back on it, it's just like it, it was just so awesome, just 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 to be a part of that. Very very fortunate. Now you mentioned a great story before with Flair and Greg Valentine and Blackjack Mulligan and wet T-shirt contest and, and some great drinking stuff. But can you give us a great Rick Flair drinking story, just uh, maybe just hanging out story that you had with him, given the amount of time you spent with him, and, and given the you know the mentor protege relationship you guys had for a bit. Well, uh, you know, uh, we mentioned uh, Virginia Beach. Um, there, uh, there was a, a club there called called Rogues Gallery, and uh, we, used to, we used to go there. And uh, you know, Rick's thing was 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 to buy uh, rounds of uh, shots. You know, he loved uh, kamikazes. And, uh, you know, he, he loved to see everybody get, you know, drunker than he did. And, and, and I started thinking about that. I said, now how is, is he always kind of maintaining when, when he keeps buying rounds, you know, for hours and hours and, and everybody else is just getting wasted. And so I, so I watched him one night 
and he was actually tossing tossing a drink over his shoulder. <laughs> and I said, so that's how he's doing it. He always kind of like looked behind him, you know, just to make sure he he he, he wasn't going to douse some girl or or something. But you know, we go okay, you know, one, two, three, you know, and everybody would like you know you know down it like you shoot it, and, and you know everybody's head would go back, and you know when your head goes back and uh, a drink's going down your your gullet. You usually close your eyes. So Flair had, had a perfect opportunity. I mean, he he would like you know for every three or four drinks shots that everybody else would do, he would do like one, and that's how he he, he was maintaining his his uh, you know composure throughout the night when everybody else was like crawling out of there. So uh, I busted him doing that. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> that's a classic move. I can't uh, you can't deny that. But, hey, look, we'll be having wet T-shirt contests maybe in the after party of TMPT Con 3, the Midnight Express 35th anniversary. Stan, this has been a lot of fun to have you on. But before we let you go, the last question we like to ask is when you look back at your career and you look back at all the amazing things that you've done and all the matches and all the partners and all the amazing places you've been, what do you want the fans to remember about Stan Lane and what he brought to the table in the wrestling business? Well, I'd like I like for them to just uh, remember that I was I was there to entertain them, and uh, and I just I really appreciated them them being there for us because uh, without them, you know, there is no wrestling, and uh, there's there's no greater feeling than like walking out into a sold out packed arena and 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 thinking and realizing that those people came there, paid their hard-earned money to see you perform so it makes you makes you want to give it everything that you've got so i, I just want them to think to, just to know that, that i was there for them you know you know to give them the best possible show to either either piss them off the best i could or to make them laugh or to make them have a great time and you know come back and do it again that's i was i was just a, a fun-loving guy who, who was very very lucky to, to to land that spot that i had i met the right people I had I had a little bit of God-given ability and, and talent, but I was just I was just cruising through, doing my thing, trying to make the people have fun. And they will have a lot of fun on May 18th in Richmond, Virginia, at TMPT Con 3, the 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. Although Jimmy Cornette does point out that you're only in for 32, so it's your 32nd anniversary. That's right. I can't wait. It's going to be the two-man power trip, guys, TMPT. All right, can't wait. John and Chad will be there, and so will I. So will Dennis, Bobby, and Jimmy. Make your plans to be there. Richmond, Virginia, May 18th. Do not miss it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.